0: Well, I want to welcome everybody to Crossroads, everybody in this room, out in the atrium and joining us online from all over the place. You know, I so appreciate that online opportunity, especially when we can't be here. You know, the last couple of weeks, Phyllis and I have been in California. We went to a great church Saturday night. Sunday, we joined all of you in, on the online campus Love being connected, and the hosts of our online campus, like Tara Kaya is the host today, Bree Williams. It was last week. They do such a fabulous job making you feel like you're right here at the service. But it is so good to be back home at Crossroads, and Crossroads is always home. And you know, if you've been here a while, I sometimes tell stories that have nothing to do with the talk at all. And that's this one, but I heard it last week. I thought you might like it. Uh, There's these three traveling clergy. They were going to a conference together, a Hindu priest, Jewish rabbi, and a televangelist. They were driving out in the country. They had car trouble. They were tired. It was night. They didn't know what to do. They thought maybe a farmer would put us up for the night. And they were in luck. The first farmhouse they went to, he said, yes, you can sleep here. But I only have room for two in the house. One will have to stay in the barn. The Hindu priest said, no problem. I'm so tired. I could sleep on a bed and nails. He goes out to the barn couple minutes later, there's a knock at the door. It's the Hindu. He said, I can't sleep out there. There's a cow out there. I can't sleep there. No problem, said the Jewish rabbi. I have no problem with cows. He goes out to the barn, couple minutes later, there's a knock at the door. It's the Jewish rabbi. He says, there's a pig out there. I can't sleep there. It would make it unclean. Maybe not kosher. I had no worries. No worries, says the televangelist. I have no problem with cows or pigs. He goes out to the barn. A couple minutes later, there's a knock at the door. It was a cow and the pig. <laughs> you know, I think that was a true story, by the way. But as soon as Katie asked me this week if I would speak on Sunday, I knew what I wanted to do it on. I've been reading through the book of Psalms. Every day I read a Psalm or two, and I had just read Psalm 27, and I thought, that's the one that I want us to look at today, Psalm 27. And one thing I love about the whole book of Psalms is it has so much to say So much relevant information about what we would call modern day problems and I know somebody's thinking if the book of Psalms 3000 years old has anything to say about modern problems then our problems must not be that modern you know and by the way every generation has always thought their problems are worse than every other generation they've always said that and don't get me wrong we do have modern problems today But the solution to those problems, it's very ancient, very ancient. It's Psalm 27, what it's about, it's about fear. It's about worry, anxiety. It's about stress and how to deal with it when it comes. And I don't think there's a more relevant Psalm that we could look at today in this one right here. And it's printed on the message notes. You can pull that out, follow along. I'm going to read it in a moment. And you can see on the front or the back, there are no points in this sermon. This is going to be one of my famous pointless sermons. So, you know, just write whatever you want. Next week's student takeover, Isaac is going to be speaking. I'm sure he will have a point to his message. This one's pointless. But I'm going to read Psalm 27. You can follow along or just sit back and listen. David begins this way. Verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In Psalm 27, David lays out a strategy. Strategy for dealing with worry and anxiety and stress and problems when they come. When they come. When even the worst possible thing can happen is what he's saying. Like he said in verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, and in verse 3, he said, though an army surround me, think about that. You think about it in your own life. Go ahead, think about it. It doesn't matter is what David's saying. No matter the worst possible things that could happen to you, this strategy will work on anything that he's going to lay out here. And I want to just take a moment and just see who this message Who this message really applies to. And so if you would, I'm going to ask a diagnostic question. And you think about major areas of your life. You think about your health, your finances, your job, your your relationships, maybe your physical appearance. How many people would be honest and say, I have at least one problem right now in my life. Raise your hand up real high. Or you know where you could find a problem. Raise your hand up. (laughs) well, that's good. That's almost everybody. This message is for you. By the way, how many people are sitting next to somebody? They look like they got a big problem. How many people are sitting next to their problem right now? You're sitting next to it. Well, you know who wrestles with this stuff? You know who I think wrestles with this? Just about everybody, all of us, everybody, everybody in this room, everybody watching online. I think we all know what it is to be stressed out and to have worry and anxiety, pressure in life. I think almost all of us. I read recently 75 to 90% of all illness may be attributed to the stress of modern life. In fact, Johns Hopkins University, they surveyed 174 patients. They labeled 140 out of the 174, they labeled as worry patients. And over half of them, 97, the patient themselves could point to the stress and anxiety of their own life. They said, that's what landed them in the hospital bed. I mean, what what are you anxious about? Or what are you worried about today? Think of it this way. What What wakes you up in the middle of the night and you should be sleeping? You know, it's kind of an odd thing, kind of a weird thing. Month or so ago, I was at a conference, and there were a lot of people my age, and this conference was about the major issues of life, you know, life, death, God, the church, faith, meaning, purpose, all of this. But when these people would wake up in the morning, people who attended the conference, we'd meet at coffee. What do you think the conversation was about? It wasn't about the great issues of life. The number one question that people would ask one another at coffee. They'd ask them this. How'd you sleep last night? How did you sleep? I mean, what an odd question. Is that weird? You know, what was the quality and duration of your unconsciousness last night? (laughs) Little kids, they don't ask questions like that. Little preschooler at preschool, they have nap time. They get up, little three-year-old says to another one, hey, how'd your nap go today, buddy? It doesn't happen for all the questions. But I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest more often than I like to admit. I wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is racing, worrying about the things that I'm dealing with in life. I'll worry about a problem I have. I'll worry about a decision I have to make. I'll worry about a difficult conversation I know I need to have, but I don't want to have it. I'll worry about Phyllis. I'll worry about one of my grandkids. I'll worry about money. I look at my life and I go, so much of my life is great and beautiful, but sometimes I have problems. Problems. Problems about money, about health, about relationships, about, you know, job stuff, all of these kinds of things. I mean, what are you worried about? Specifically, you know, most of you raise your hand. What keeps you awake at night when you should be asleep? And I do have to say, by the way, you know, re- researchers say that people that have a lot of worry and anxiety, sometimes it's because they're more intelligent. There's a, there's a correlation between people's intelligence and people that worry and have anxiety a lot. I mean, it's just a fact. So a moment ago... You know, if you didn't raise your hand, you said, I don't have any worries. I don't have any anxiety in my life. You know, maybe that's not because you're spiritually mature. (laughs) Maybe you're a dim bulb. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Back to Psalm 27, David highlights four scenarios here. Four scenarios that have the potential to create worry and anxiety. Look at verse two again. He says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me. He's describing opposition. People trying to hurt him. People trying to take him down. Look at verse three. He says, though an army besiege me. Besiege me means to surround me. The war break out against me. And notice he doesn't say besiege us or a war break out against us. He's saying me. A war versus me, an army versus me. Often when we have problems, we have such a sense that we're all alone in the problem. And we just feel overwhelmed like nobody understands what we're going through. I mean, it feels like it. that sometimes. You feel surrounded by your problem. You're in it all alone. There's no way out. Look at verse 10, he says this. Though my father and mother forsake me, He raises the idea of family anxiety. Think about how many of your worries and the anxiety in your life have to do with family situations. Yeah, a lot of it. Marriage conflict, there's divorce. Brothers and sisters in conflict, dating conflict, Uh, maybe issues with children, issues with your parents, extended family, in-laws, all of that. I can't tell, I, I would say an enormous percentage of the conversations I've had with people, people over the years, it's, they want to talk about anxiety and worry they have because of a family issue, family issue. Verse 12, David mentions another one, a fourth one. He says, false witnesses rise against me, spouting malicious accusations. You ever had anybody spreading outright lies? about who you are or what you've done or what you've said ever had that happen? Uh, I've had it happen I've been on the end of that you feel like your stomach is in a knot you know, because of the injustice that people are spreading about you and it's amazing when you think about it you think about Jesus, he was perfect he was perfect he had it happen to him people talk behind his back they call him a, a glutton they call him a drunkard They criticized him for the people he hung out with. They called Jesus friend of sinners. Now we celebrate that today. We sing about Jesus was a friend of sinners. Back then, that was a slur on his character. That was a major put down calling him a friend of sinners. They did not celebrate that then. He was attacked with racial slurs. They called him a Samaritan. That was a racial slur. They call him a blasphemer. And if, Je- now think about it, Jesus went through his whole life. He was perfect all the way to the end, and he was riddled with criticism. What makes you or me think we're going to go through our life and we're not going to have any critics? Always remember this. Always remember what people think about you is none of your business. It's none of your business. Now, right now, I think probably people, there's people here that came in. You said, I didn't have any worries when I came in. Now I'm worried about some stuff. <laughs> I mean, hearing a message like this does it. But the antithesis of it, it's peace, peace. And although David presents these four stress-producing situations, he's strangely calm. And he's at peace in the middle of it. And how do he do it? By the way, this is what we ought to pay attention to here, how he did it, because he had literal enemies. He had people with real weapons that were after his life with real weapons. Now, I'm sure that's probably not true for most of the people here in this room, but let's see what he says. Actually, in verse three, he says, though an army besiege me, he said, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. I've got so much freedom from anxiety and fear. If an army comes up, I'm okay. I can handle it. And in verse four, he tells the secret. Here comes the strategy for overcoming all this. Verse four. Verse four is the key to Psalm 27. It's the key verse in the entire psalm. It's up on the screen. Look at what he says. He says, here's the one thing I ask of the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David is saying, here's the one thing I do. This is the one thing I do in the midst of this. And that one thing is broken into three parts, three verbs. He says, three verbs, dwell, Gaze and seek. Those are the verbs. And I'm going to unpack those briefly. Beginning with the first one. Verse 4, he started out. One thing I ask of the Lord. Here's the first thing. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord. What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord? Uh, anybody know what the house of the Lord was back then when he wrote this? It was a temple. He was not talking About living in the temple. David couldn't live in the temple. Only Levites could live there. He couldn't do that. Only Levites could live in the holy of holies. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to live. I'm going to live knowing God is with me. I'm going to live knowing God is with me. I'm going to live trusting I'm not alone in this life. I'm not alone. God is with me and God cares for me. And here's the first strategy for overcoming fear, worry, anxiety, all these things. The first thing is this, is to live with an ongoing awareness of God's presence in your life. That's the first thing we do. First strategy to overcome that, that junk, that stuff that we all face. Live with an ongoing awareness. I'm not alone in this life. God is with me. God is for me. And I'm going to live trusting. I'm going to live trusting God is going to provide for me. And there'll be times when anxiety and fear come. They will. And when it does, we have a choice. When anxiety and fear, stress comes into our life, we can choose to focus on the problem. And that will just feed all the fears. Or we can focus on God and the fear will dissipate. Well, one of my favorite psalms, I say it daily. Psalm 16, verse eight and nine. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my soul rejoices, and my body rests secure. Psalm 16, eight and nine. And there's this interesting thing. We live with this real common illusion, most of us. You know what the illusion is? The illusion is, the reason I worry is because I have these problems. Man, if I didn't have the problems, I wouldn't worry about anything. That's an illusion, by the way. Because the good news is, there will be a day you have no problems. The bad news is, on what day it is when you have no problems anymore. On what day will all your problems be gone? Does anybody know what day that is? The day you die. The day you die. Death has a way. Death has a way of just smoothing it all out. Man, stuff that stressed you out, you know, it's not even bugging you anymore that day. We got to learn to have peace in spite of our problems. We got to learn to have peace in spite of conflict. If we're only at peace... When we're on vacation, Disneyland, Disney World, or on a cruise, we're going to have very little peace in our life. We are. We got to learn to trust in God's care in the midst of the problem. That's what we have to learn. I mean, the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said this to that church in Rome in Romans 8.35, this verse on the screen, He says, what could separate me from the love of God? And then he goes on to list all the stuff we worry about. Poverty, danger, violence, death itself. And what does he say, Romans 8, 38? He says, I'm convinced nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's never at risk in your life. God's love, care, and presence is never, ever at risk. And because of that, I'm not, I'm not ultimately vulnerable to anything. God will never leave me, not even death itself. Knowing this, knowing God is with us in the midst of the darkest of the dark, that we can talk to God, that God listens, God cares, God understands. I mean, that is the difference often between caving in or taking courage right there. The difference between giving up and going on and trusting, knowing God is with me. David goes on, that second verb, he goes on to say there's a connection with what we gaze upon and what we worry about. And that's interesting. It is. There's this unusual correlation between what we fixate on, what we gaze on, and what we have anxiety about. David says he's fixing his gaze on the beauty of the Lord, which by the way is the only trustworthy thing to fixate on, God, God himself. So here's the second thing. Look to God as your ultimate source of strength. That's the second one. That's what he's saying. Look to God. That's what he's doing. I'm looking to God as my ultimate source of strength. And our problems, we know they're not as important as how we respond to our problem, right? They're not. Our problems are not as important as how we respond. Life really is 10% what happens to us, 90% how we respond. David says, gaze on the beauty of God, which is God's goodness and God's strength and God's power. That's what that is. God's faithfulness. You gaze on that. You fixate on that, no matter what you're going through. And the anxiety, the fear, will, it will begin to dissipate. It will. We'll not give in to it anymore. We'll not. We go through a problem. We have two options. You go through a problem. You have two options. You can worship or you can worry. Those are the options. It's a matter of the will. It's a choice. We go through a problem. You can worship or you can worry. You can panic or you can pray. Those are the options. Those are our choices right there. We have to remember God has power we don't have. God has power we don't have. Luke 18, verse 27. Jesus said, what's impossible for people? It's possible with God. But let me give you a principle of the universe. And I've shared this principle often. A principle of the universe. And I found this works with with, uh, toasters, works with microwaves, works, works with vacuum cleaners, those little rumba things. You know, you ride around, you got to, you know, it works in that docking station. It works with coffee makers. Here's the principle of the universe. Things work better when they're plugged in. And so do you. And so do I. We work better plugged in. The only way we get God's power is to connect with God moment by moment. Not just say I'm a follower of Christ. I'm trusting Christ for my salvation. I know where I'm going when I die. I know Christians say that. They have no power in the here and now, though. No power in this life. No, just being a Christian doesn't give us that kind of power. We get that kind of power and strength by connecting with God moment by moment. Day by day, spending time with God every day. Every day, spending time morning or night, whatever works. Spending time in God's word, spending time praying, spending time in silence, letting God speak to us. We do that on a regular basis. We plug into God like that daily. Then we have a basis for hope. Hope. And celebrate recovery, it's based on the 12 steps. He gets it, he gets it. Based on the 12 steps. Step one, I'm powerless. Powerless to change some things in my life. Step two, but I have hope. I'm not hopeless, not at all. I'm not hopeless because I'm trusting God, and God has power. God can bring His strength. God can bring His healing. And step three, I'm I'm surrendering my entire life and will over to Jesus Christ, who we know to be God. That's the basis of hope. Basis of hope, right there. It is. But I thought this week as I was doing this. I thought, man, when real life hits, you know, when people end up in a hospital, you know, they get bad news, serious things going on, this stuff can be very difficult, very hard to not just be overcome by anxiety and and worry and these kinds of things. When real life hits and life can be so heavy, it's difficult stuff. But how do we keep from being overwhelmed? One, we live, we remind ourselves, I'm living in the power and presence of God. And I'm looking to God as my ultimate source of strength. I'm living with that ongoing awareness of God's presence. And I'm looking to God. I'm focusing on God's attributes. And as David did did that, as he focused on God's faithfulness, God's strength and power, his fears were, were relieved. And he focused by listening to God, by the way, He listened to God's voice, God's counsel, rather than the voice of fear. And that's the third thing. Listen to God continually is the third thing we get from this. Because that third verb, seek, you know when when David said, I seek God in his temple, that word seek, it meant to get advice is what it meant. Get advice, get counsel. That's what it means. In other words, David is listening to God. He's taking his troubles to God and he's seeking God's counsel. I mean, this is what I love about Christianity. You boil Christianity down to its core. It's about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship with the living God who has spoken to people all through history. He spoke to us through creation, spoke to us through Jesus Christ and he continues to speak to us today. All through the Bible we read. And the Lord said, God said. All through the Bible. God wants to have that kind of relationship with you. Where you can take your troubles to him and seek his wisdom. And God will bring it. Jesus said in Luke 8.8. 8, he said, whoever has ears to hear, let that person hear. Jesus says, get your ears on, Get tuned in. Because God is speaking. So if we dwell in God's presence... We dwell in God's presence. We gaze on God's beauty. We seek God's counsel. Then and only then can we respond like David in verse one. When he made that response right from the beginning, he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? And I want us all to know that God is here And God is with us. No matter what you're going through in life, God is right here in the midst of it. God's not in some faraway galaxy somewhere. God is right here, closer in the air that we breathe. God's in the heartbreaks of life. God's in the funeral homes. God's in the hospitals. God's as close to us on Monday and Tuesday as God is right here at this moment. And God cares for you so much. And God loves you so much that I think God brought you here so he could say these words to you in the midst of maybe a storm, a heartache, disappointment in life. God brought you here so he could say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is I. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Do not be afraid. Let's stand together for closing prayer. God, we thank you so much that you are here in our midst and that you're always with us, always loving, always caring for each person here. And God, you know the details of each person's life here. And many of us have brought some anxiety and some worries and some fears into this place and God you know what it's all about you know the different complexities and dynamics of each of our lives but God I pray that you would be able to help us as I know you can you could help us to give all that anxiety all that worry to you to surrender it and to let it go that we would dwell in your presence this week that we would fix our gaze on your beauty each day and that, God, we will seek your wisdom and seek your guidance. And I pray that we would be able to say, just like David, Lord, you're my light. Lord, you're my salvation. Whom or what shall I fear? Lord, you are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.